One in three Americans is sleep deprived. It's really fascinating to see what only one day of unhealthy meals can do for you. Right. It highlights the importance of diet in the quality of sleep. If you eat a lot of sugar and processed carbohydrates, you may wake up more frequently during the night. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And today we are going to be talking about sleep. You know, we're supposed to get eight hours of it every night, but most of us can only dream about getting that much. Between work and family and just basically cramming as much as we possibly can on the calendar, our days are long and our nights are short. We wake up feeling groggy and then hit the wall in the afternoon. But here's the question. What role does food play in all of this? Well, with sleep playing such a crucial role in the immune system, it really is an important question as we continue our fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. And my guest today says that sleep is just what the doctor ordered. Dr. Hanna Kaliova will be here to explore how a healthy diet could be the difference between a good night's rest and tossing and turning all night. And could a solid slumber actually then begin with breakfast? That's what we're going to find out. Plus, we're going to take a trip in the Wayback Machine, revisiting a conversation I had with dietitian Lee Crosby about the keto diet. Now, this was long before the COVID-19 pandemic was on anyone's radar. But during this conversation, there is a lot of talk about the side effects of keto. And we can draw some parallels here, some parallels that may want you to think twice before rolling out the red carpet for fat and kicking carbs to the curb. But I want to start today with a question from Friday's Exam Room Live on Facebook. You know, we do a live version of the show on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page weekdays at noon Eastern. And this is something that I think a lot of people are wondering, especially those who eat a plant-based diet. Today's question, Dr. Barnard, comes to us from John on Facebook. He writes in, what concerns are there about raw produce and how long the virus, the coronavirus, would stay active or what precautions should we be taking? The COVID-19 viruses can stay active on leafy greens, fruit, etc. for how long? Do we have any data on this? Um, great question. Uh, the data we have has been in scientific uh, laboratories where, where researchers have looked at specific surfaces. They've looked at metal, they've looked at ceramic, they've looked at plastic, um, they've looked at cardboard and so forth. And I am going to say that uh, when we look at, at the duration of the virus um, viability on all of these surfaces, in some it goes up as far as, as, as five days. So I am going to put vegetables and fruits in that category, meaning um, if you have an apple that's been on your counter for, for three, four, five days, I think it is conceivable that the virus could still be there if it was there on the produce shelf. Um, hopefully not, but it could be. 
So what do you do? Um, when you get home from the store, wash your hands, number one, because who knows what all you've touched. Number two, wash your produce, wash, wash, uh, wash the fruits and the vegetables. You don't necessarily have to wash them in, in anything particularly toxic. Just wash them. Even the mechanical function of water going over them is good or a very, very mild detergent is probably all you need, but, but be thorough with it. Um, and then l- let them dry uh, and uh, then wash your hands again. You're sad. We're going to be doing another extended coronavirus Q&A session with Dr. Jasmine Sardana on the show in just a couple of days. She's going to be here to answer your COVID-19 related questions. So if you want to get a jump on submitting them early, now is the time to get that done. Send them to us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC or Find the Physicians Committee at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee on IG. Just spelled out that time. Be sure, though, to use the hashtag exam room podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook and send us a message there. I promise you we will tackle as many of your questions as we possibly can. So now is the time to get them to us. Just find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram using the hashtag exam room podcast. My next guest tells me it's high time that we wake up and realize just how important sleep actually is. Dr. Hanna Kaliova here now to tell us what we need to know about the role food plays when it comes to quality Z's and keeping MD's at bay. That's important information coming your way as we continue exploring ways to keep our immune system operating in peak condition during the COVID-19 pandemic. Rolling right along here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today's show is an interesting one, covering a topic that, I mean, we, we just glanced at it a little bit in the past. It's been a, part of a, a small part of other segments, but really today we're going to dive in on getting a quality night's sleep. How important is that to our overall health and what makes us have a good night's sleep? What can we do to make sure that we're getting those eight hours and what should we avoid? What will wake us up in the middle of the night other than a snoring spouse? With that, we welcome Dr. (laughs) Hanakali over to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Chuck. This is an interesting topic that uh, you proposed. Certainly, like I just said, not anything that we've covered on the show before. And it's something that you recently started taking a look at. You you came up with a lot of fascinating stuff here. Exactly. This is super fascinating and super important, too. One one in three Americans uh, is sleep-deprived. And there's many factors that uh, play a role. But nutrition is, um, you know, one of the major ones. One of the connections is that sleep deprivation tends to affect people who are overweight or obese Mm -hmm. uh, as one of the most targeted group. Um, Another factor that plays a role is also a high caffeine consumption, a high alcohol consumption. So we can cut down on these and improve our sleep um, more naturally that way. Also, being physically inactive, uh, cut downs on your sleep and uh, also on the quality of your sleep. So if you can ensure physical activity during the day, that's awesome. If you can get some sun exposure during the day and then also sleep uh, 
uh, in total darkness at night. That helps a lot because melatonin secretion uh, depends on the light and dark exposure. Mm. We need light exposure during the day, but we also need darkness exposure in order for, for melatonin to be secreted the in the most effective way. Uh, and it's definitely helpful to go to bed earlier rather than later and also wake up earlier for, gotcha. for our circadian rhythms and for the melatonin secretion. My wife loves to sleep with the TV on. Sometimes mm. it drives me up the wall, but you, you're saying, you know, that you want to sleep in darkness. Obviously, right. that's going to light up the room. So probably not the best idea, right? Exactly. It disrupts your sleep. Uh, uh Blue light in general, like, you know, checking your phone or your tablet just before you go to sleep is mm. not the best idea. If you can set those aside and just read a book uh, before you go to bed, that's that's definitely better. Yeah, well, I think that checking your phone or checking your email right before you go to bed, that's just a horrible right. idea for so many reasons. <laughs> I mean, you get wound up, you get fired up about something, and then good luck falling asleep. And if you're lucky enough to do so, good luck staying asleep. So... Keep those phones away. I do know a lot of phones, though, they do have, um, like, uh, you can turn off that blue light. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You can get a filter. Yeah. Uh, which might be a good idea mm-hmm. uh, if you're checking your phone frequently uh, or even when you wake up at night and are checking your phone, you might want to use that filter. God help us. You wake up at night and you check your phone. That's no good. So, uh, you know, there's a lot we can do in terms of our sleep hygiene. But, uh, you know, what can we do, do in our nutrition to improve our sleep? Yeah, let's talk about that because that is the, the crux of the exam room. People love to talk about the link between diet and everything. Right. And yeah. so this is certainly no exception. Um, you think about if you overeat, you go into what's what's called a food coma. And I'm sure that we'll, we'll touch on that maybe a little bit. But you pulled a specific study that I found was really interesting that – took a look at the role of fiber and saturated fat in terms of the quality of sleep. What did these researchers find? Uh, yeah, this is a fascinating study. Uh, the paper will be up after the, the podcast. And um, the researchers in New York uh, took uh, 26 normal weight and normal age volunteers. Uh, they were between 30 and 45 years old. Their sleep duration was normal between seven and nine hours. Mm. And they took them uh, to a sleep lab for five days. So the volunteers were sleeping in the lab and were also eating in the lab under controlled conditions. And for four days, um, they were getting their meals from a registered dietitian. So they were healthy meals that we would agree with. High in fiber, you know, high in fruits and veggies, uh, very low in saturated fat, um, no unhealthy snacks. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, uh, really good, good quality meals. Mm -hmm. And for one day, Afterwards, the volunteers were able to choose whatever they wanted. So after four days, you know, they were able to get their burger and their cheese and all the sweets. Yeah. And what's fascinating is how fast you can see the changes happen. So after the four days, the quality of sleep was excellent and people were able to fall asleep uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But after only one day on their self-selected diet, which was much more unhealthy, of course, uh, and higher in saturated fat and lower in fiber, 
the sleep was completely disrupted. So uh, it took almost twice as much time for them to fall asleep. Mm. Uh, the numbers are shown in table one on page 21 mm. in the paper. Put on my glasses so I can actually see that here. So the average time to fall asleep, or it's called the sleep onset latency in minutes, was about 17 minutes uh, at night three after the first, uh, you know, registered dietitian prescribed diet. Mm -hmm. But it was 29 minutes after the self-selected foods. So it was it, the time almost doubled, you know. Wow. And uh, I need to say that 30 minutes is like a magic number. Uh, if if it takes you more than 30 minutes to fall asleep on a regular basis, uh, then you are uh, considered to have insomnia, uh, you know, a disruption of your sleep or, or falling asleep. Uh, so... This is a significant delay in the onset of sleep. Uh, but also, uh, not only did it affect the whole length of the sleep, it affected the quality sleep. So the mo most restorative sleep happens during the slow-wave sleep. And the time for slow-wave sleep was 29 minutes uh, after the healthy meals mm -hmm. and only 24.6 minutes on the unhealthy meals. So it's really fascinating to see what only one day of unhealthy meals can do for you. Right, right. It highlights the importance of diet in, uh, our, um, in the quality of sleep. I mean, it's, it's right there. And then you take a look um, at the REM sleep as well. There's a little bit of a difference between that. They really did a good job of breaking this down. Yeah, good yeah, gracious. Yeah. And also, if you, if you think that you will go, you know, get away from the fat, but you will still eat a lot of processed carbohydrates and you will be better off, you're wrong. If you eat a lot of sugar and processed carbohydrates, you may, you may wake up more, uh, more frequently during the night. So That's from the same from the same research group. Talking like things like uh, cake or you know cookies, right. things like that. Right. Okay. So that's not a good idea either. Okay. You want to make sure that the quality uh, of your plant foods is high, with a lot of fiber, fruits and veggies, and whole grains and legumes. Mm -hmm. uh, was there any difference between men and women in the study, or were, were these all men? Uh, these, um, you know. There was no, no difference. It's not really reported that there would be any difference. 14 were men and 13 women, uh, and there was no difference between them reported. Okay. No. Um, uh, okay. And it says here these uh, participants were on average roughly 35 years of age and had a BMI of 23.5. Mm -hmm. Where does that fall on the BMI scale, 23.5? Is that? Uh, that's still fine. Okay. Okay. Interesting. 25 is the cutoff point for normal. Okay. 20. Between normal and overweight. Okay. Higher would be nor okay. overweight. So this is, okay, so this is really interesting. So mm -hmm. you, you want good fiber and you don't want saturated fat. That's what That's it correct. boils down to, right? Um, let's talk about um, meal timing then on the effect of sleep because I know that you brought uh, another study that kind of keys in on that. And this is a question that gets asked a lot on the show as well is, you know, when is the best time to eat? Mm -hmm. Here in the U.S., a lot of times we save the biggest meal of the day for right. dinner time. And, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock at night, we're eating this enormous meal. 
other people say, well, we should really be eating our biggest meal in the morning at mm. breakfast. What do we know as far as meal timing and the correlation between that and quality sleep? Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating question. Um, first of all, um, you know, we need to realize that there's um, the regulation of uh, the clock genes happens uh, from our hypothalamus in our brain, which is entrained by light and darkness. Uh, but in each cell of our body, we have clock genes that need to be aligned to the central clock or the master clock in our brain. And this happens through nutrition. And the way how we do it, uh, the circadian rhythms are roughly 24 hours, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. And the way how we make them exactly 24 hours is through nutrition, is that we eat breakfast and start eating breakfast around the same time. Mm -hmm. This is how we tell our body it's morning. And uh, it's been shown in many studies uh, that breakfast should be the most important meal of the day, the largest meal of the day. Uh, it really, it our body works most efficiently. Uh, the insulin production is the most efficient in the morning. So most of the carbohydrates should be eating in, e eaten in the morning. And the traditional breakfasts are pretty much centered around, around carbohydrates, oh. oatmeal and fruit. You know, that's yeah. a lot of carbohydrates. Right, right. Uh, so toast... Uh, toasted bread uh, is another source of carbohydrates, another traditional breakfast food. Uh, so, you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, your insulin secretion is the most efficient in the morning. And when you compare how much fat you deposit after a meal, if you eat the same meal for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you will deposit the most fat after dinner. You know what? Uh, Dr. Michael Greger mm -hmm. mentioned that to me um, on the show not too terribly long ago. And I thought that that was just fascinating when he mm -hmm. said, you know, you really can. You can right. eat, you know, the same piece of toast right. in the morning as right. you do at night and your body's going right. to hold on to more of the fat at night. Why, why is that? Um, because of the circadian rhythms and because of the changes in our hormones. Uh, you know, our body is just like waking up and getting ready for the day. Um, the levels of stress hormones uh, are the highest just before we wake up mm -hmm. to get us started for yeah. the day. Yeah. And if you are in this state, then you can eat more and metabolize more quickly compared with a more steady state after dinner where the body is getting ready to fall asleep and slow down its metabolism. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. So uh, all these changes happen um, on uh, the cellular level as well, uh, and the hormone uh, changes are huge throughout the day. That's wild. Yeah, I never would have thought, you know, that the body would hang on to more fat depending right. on what time you eat the actual meal. Because to me, it seems like, well, if something has two grams of fat, it has two grams of fat, and your body's mm. going to know how to deal with those two grams of fat. Doesn't matter when, but not the case. The body is a fascinating right. thing, Dr. Kaliova. I'm telling you, it never ceases to amaze me how just um, incredible our machines are. Um, this particular study um, also took a look at uh, foods to actually aid in mm -hmm. sleep, correct? So if somebody right. is a little bit sleep deprived and feels mm -hmm. the need like, hey, 
I got to make some changes here. Mm-hmm. I got to get my quality eight hours here. Mm-hmm. What kind of food should they be turning to? Uh, so concentrate on a high quality breakfast. That should be the largest meal of the day. Uh, dinner, on the other hand, should be the smallest meal of the day. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, if we're talking what to eat for dinner, um, foods that are high in fiber and high in high quality carbohydrate. Uh, might be the best choice. There's a few studies showing that cherries, for example, or kiwi fruit uh, might be super beneficial for the quality of your sleep. Kiwi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So keep your dinners um, super simple. If you have just a little bit of fruit, if it happens to be cherries, fine. If it's another fruit, that's fine too. Uh, these are just two examples of studies that that showed uh, clear benefits of cherries and kiwi fruit. What about sleep. what about people that you know the, they have that what we call the midnight snack, right? Mm. You familiar with this? That that right. late night snack. Some people may even go a little bit harder and call it fourth meal. Um, <laughs> Is it so if they're eating a a high fiber food with quality carbohydrates like Mm. the kiwi or the cherries, is that still not a good idea right before bed or is it kind of not that big of a deal if it's that quality food? Uh, Even the too much of the quality food or wrong timing, like just before bedtime and uh, eating too much of it or even in the middle of the night is is really disrupting the sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, snacking also it is, is disrupting sleep. Even though your snacks may be high quality, carrots and, and hummus, uh, they're still disrupting your sleep. They're disrupting your circadian rhythms and increasing the risk of cardiovascular disease. Ooh. So you want to stick to uh, your three meals a day, and if you happen to skip your dinner, the better because you will secrete even more melatonin at night, and your sleep will be further improved. Uh. Try that because that, you will feel hungry in the morning and you will naturally have breakfast as the largest meal of the day. Yeah, that's going to take some training, uh, you know, to, to be like, no, no dinner. So I guess then you're looking at a big breakfast, a pretty big lunch at that point to tide you over. And by the, um, by the way, if you want to try that, there's uh, an herbal tea, chamomile tea, mm-hmm. that specifically improves the quality of sleep. Really? So that might be a good swap. Chamomile you know? tea. Yeah. Okay. I'm a Just green tea guy. Have some, I love well, green. that has some caffeine, so I that know, might be disrupting your sleep. I, Try okay. chamomile tea well, now that now, now that we're mm. on that, like, what about caffeine? Because mm. obviously we all know you drink caffeine right. to wake up, right? right? So if we hear some right. people, they'll say, I can drink a cup of coffee right before I go to sleep, no problem. Mm. What do we know about that? Mm. Is that true? However, most people are much more sensitive to caffeine. So even if they drink a cup of coffee in the morning, uh, just before they go to bed, there's still some caffeine in in their bloodstream Mm. because of the halftime of caffeine, how long it takes for us uh, to metabolize metabolize all the caffeine. And there are some um, inter-individual differences, of course. You know, some people, as you said, uh, may drink a cup of coffee just before they go to bed and fall asleep, no problem. Right, right. And I would be awake the whole night. Like, I'm not used to drinking caffeine at all. Right. So there's huge inter-individual differences. 
is it that you know maybe some people build up a tolerance of it? You know, if they drink right. an enormous amount exactly. of coffee or black yeah. tea throughout the yeah. day, it just it's not a it's have a drug, so yeah. you can definitely develop a tolerance gotcha. as yeah. well. Because I know one of our colleagues mm-hmm. that works a few offices down from you, she has to cut herself off from coffee at noon, otherwise right. she is not mm-hmm. going to bed that night. Mm-hmm. And that always made me laugh. Like right. when I was still working <laughs> as a reporter. You know, some of these shifts, I mean, they were just all over the place as far as time of day and how long they were, if there was big breaking news. Anyway, you know, it lived off of coffee, Mm. right? It totally lived off of coffee, built up a dependence on it. But you go off of it for Mm. a little bit. And just like you were saying, like, and then I I switched over to I had a cup of black tea, which has a a ton of caffeine in Mm. it. Could not sleep that night. I wow. mean, it was like three o'clock in the morning and my eyes are just like wide awake and there was nothing that was going to get me anywhere close to a quality night's sleep. Just mm. amazing. Mm. Just amazing. Mm. Uh, you mentioned heart disease. Right. So this is this is an interesting thing. Um, what is the correlation between heart disease and sleep and plant-based diets? How does that all tie together? Uh, so people who are chronically sleep-deprived also have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. This may increase your risk of cardiovascular disease by a third, mm-hmm. al- almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a significant factor. A good night's sleep is a significant factor for your good cardiovascular health. And we know that plant-based diets improve cardiovascular health, uh, but can they also do it through improving our sleep? Uh, you know, that's a great hypothesis, and we have a good paper uh, that we will post after the podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it has been shown uh, that the more fruits and vegetables people consume, the better quality of their sleep. And in contrast, the more snacks, the more sugar, the more saturated fat people eat, the more disrupted their sleep is and the shorter duration also. Uh, There's a few studies, uh, one in Italian adolescents, almost 1,600 Italian adolescents, and they found, the researchers found um, that the quality of the diet was not only related to their uh, body weight and body composition, which we would expect, uh, but there was a clear correlation with the length of their sleep as well. So the adolescents uh, that were chubbier uh, had also shorter duration of their sleep. And uh, it was clearly um, uh, tied to um, the saturated fat they were eating, to their sweets and snacks, and eating outside home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these factors were contributing uh, to their weight problems, but also to the shorter duration of their sleep. And another study that was performed in Japan showed that seaweed and soy products were improving the quality of sleep. Seaweed? Yeah. Really? What's... uh... Well, that's a part of the traditional Japanese diet, you know, so... Uh, it's not a necessary uh, addition to your diet. However, you know, why not? No, it is delicious, though. Yeah. A good seaweed salad. Yeah. You know, from time to time, it's pretty good. And also soy products that are high in isoflavones. Uh, isoflavones are one of the compounds of, of plant foods uh, that are thought to improve the quality of sleep, wow. especially in women. Uh, it, it was tied, the, the isoflavon consumption was tied to um, longer duration of sleep and also uh, a lower ability to fall asleep during the day, a lower 
re, you know, reported nap time. Interesting. Isoflavones. Mm-hmm. F- again, fascinating stuff. Um, you mentioned obesity uh, with this. I want, I want to circle back to that a little bit because before we started going, we were going to pull some statistics on, you know, how, you know, what percentage of Americans are actually sleep deprived. And it's, it's quite a bit. But what I was not expecting was uh, the CDC had, and we'll put this up full screen um, when we're producing the video. Uh, you can see this map that the CDC put together that showed the prevalence of sleep deprivation across the country. And what is staggering to me is that the highest percentage of people who are sleep deprived happen to be in the South in what is called the obesity belt. Do you think that that's any coincidence? Uh, it's complete. You're right on. Like this is this is a perfect observation. Uh, people who uh, have a higher, who are heavier, and who have a higher percentage of fat. So you can still be in the normal body mass index range, but you can have a higher fat percentage, have a higher risk to be sleep deprived. It's a. Uh it's it's i mean just i mean look at look at that dark red there so you got georgia and, and mississippi parts of louisiana and, and west virginia right there i mean these things are lit up like a christmas tree yeah. and then you look at you know what are generally healthier areas uh, you would look out west where i think by and large people might be a little bit more health conscious california but not too bad then you look at oregon and washington all very clear your dakotas very clear uh good quality sleep there i don't know uh what the deal is but that that's fascinating so take a take a look at that map we're we're going to publish that um let's see we touched on blue lights what what else yeah. should we touch and, on and uh we were talking about isoflavones yes. uh, in in soy foods as one of the one of the compounds that would be improving our sleep and another important one is tryptophan which is one of the amino acids and that's why it's it's a precursor of our serotonin in in the brain which ma- makes you more calm and relaxed you know before you go to sleep tryptophan we hear mm-hmm. a lot about that around Thanksgiving time, um, you know, uh, people who do not right. subscribe to the plant-based lifestyle uh, eat turkey. Turkey is notoriously high in tryptophan, and that is what causes people to go into that food coma. Ooh, yeah. yeah. But many people believe um, that eating a lot of protein uh, is a good uh, strategy how to Im- increase your uh, tryptophan uh, and serotonin in your brain. But it's not the case, and the reason for that is the the proteins between different foods differ in the relative content of tryptophan. In other words, um, you can have one food that, you know, has a lot of protein, but has only a small fraction of tryptophan. Mm-hmm. And you can have other foods that are not so rich in protein, but a large portion of them is tryptophan. And uh, the highest sources of tryptophan are tofu uh, and also sesame seed, for example. Really? Yeah. Sesame seeds. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, ha- you don't have to uh, eat a lot of protein in order to get a lot of tryptophan. And why do you want tryptophan specifically? Doesn't, you know, does it matter how much you eat to- like total or um, no, really the percentage matters because all these amino acids are competing which one will get to your brain because there's a b- blood brain barrier. 
and the, the amino acids cannot get through the barrier as quickly. They, they are competing to get in. Oh, okay. And the more tryptophan percentage-wise you have, the more tryptophan will get into your brain, the more serotonin you will secrete, and the, the more calm you will feel, the more relaxed, and the more likely you are about to fall asleep. Huh. And uh, so one of these, the strategies uh, is to increase uh, the, the consumption of tofu and sesame seed, for example. But another important one is to also consume a lot of carbohydrates that are high quality with a lot of fiber, because these also increase the serotonin secretion in your brain. So instead of having a heavy dinner, just having a handful of fruit, for example, will boost your serotonin secretion or just one slice of bread. Gotcha. You don't need a lot. Gotcha. That's enough. What's what's needed, and uh, if you have tofu for your lunch, that's enough. Mm-hmm. You're set for a good night's sleep. You don't need to load up on you know excessive amounts gotcha. of these foods. Gotcha. Okay. Just so, a little bit is is perfect. Uh, wh- what are some other things that that we should be looking at? Or is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that is of importance in your opinion? Uh, I think we mentioned the most important points. So maybe we could summarize to make it more clear. By all means. Um, So in terms of food, we're talking about the composition of the diet, but also about the meal timing. So in terms of um, meal composition, uh, the lower the saturated fat content of the diet and the higher uh, it's in fiber, uh, but also in isoflavones, uh, if we eat soy foods and tofu, uh, the better for our sleep um, sleep duration and quality. Uh, fruit is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, cherries and kiwi, but also other kinds of fruit. Uh, some vegetables, uh, including uh, seaweed, uh, are helpful for the quality of our sleep. And uh, these can all help to cut down on the time that it takes us to fall asleep, but also can improve the most restorative sleep, the slow wave sleep. Gotcha. Uh, So that's in terms of um, food composition. And in terms of meal timing, uh, make breakfast the largest meal of the day. Load up on all the healthy carbohydrates and all the healthy healthy foods, and cut down on your dinners. Make dinners the uh, smallest meal of the day. If you can sometimes even skip dinner, the better for your sleep. Uh, you can just uh, drink your chamomile tea that will also <laughs> have some relaxing effect on you. Uh, okay, so I, I think that if breakfast is going to be the the biggest meal of the day, mm. that's going to require some tweaks in most of mm. our lifestyles because right. a lot of us, it's just like get up and go mm. and go really quickly. Busy, busy, busy all day. Mm. Don't have time for anything more mm. than a grab and go breakfast. So maybe set the alarm for mm-hmm. a little bit earlier. Take that time. Make a quality mm-hmm. breakfast. Sit down. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then go, go, go. Right. right? And all, Or you can prepare your breakfast uh, the night before yeah. uh, and have it already. That's right? not a bad idea. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. So it's still kind of a, a grab mm-hmm. and go type of situation. But you know what? One could say... If you start eating this way and it does improve your quality mm. of sleep, it would be easier for right. you exactly. to get up a little bit earlier because you will have gotten that nice, restful, quality sleep that, that night. Correct. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm. That makes sense. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Now, if you can tell me how to not wake up when my wife's alarm goes off at two o'clock in the morning because <laughs> she's on the, the morning TV show here in Washington, like I would be all ears for that. If there's a food that can help me sleep through an alarm, let me know. <laughs> Some cherries as earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> that will work. That will work. Dr. Hanna Kaliova, thank you so very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Chuck. Time to flash back and talk about one of the most popular diets of today. But it's not necessarily one that lends itself to the overall pillar of health, despite the claims that you've been hearing. We're about to take a closer look at the keto diet. Now, this is an interview I did with dietitian Lee Crosby, whom you may know better as the Fiber Queen. This is a talk that we had some time ago, long before COVID-19 was ever on our radar. But there are some correlations that you might still just be able to draw. We're going to talk about the ins and the outs of keto and why we might want to think twice before jumping on the keto bandwagon. Because there's a couple of things that your immune system probably isn't going to be too thrilled about. Talking about some major GI troubles and a little thing called the keto flu. Rolling along here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee, the Weight Loss Champion, Chuck Carroll, now sitting across the table from registered dietitian from the Barnard Medical Center, Lee Crosby. Lee, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Chuck. I know that keto is something that uh, you have researched and studied. You've done a couple of presentations. I have. I have. But I also wanted to ask you about some of the other side effects that are caused by keto diet well get ready if you're if you have a sandwich or something right now you might just want to go ahead and put that down mm-hmm. okay so I just see okay so one of the first and most i don't want to say popular most common symptoms that you will see with a um, keto diet is again we're going to put air quotes around affectionately known as disaster pants okay i think <laughs> right? i can hazard a guess as to what that is <laughs> yeah you can use your imagination um so i actually have not done keto myself as you might guess but we i did look up because it's all over the internet so i wanted to sort of get it straight you know from someone who had had done this and experienced disaster pants so i went on um reddit and the very first thing when you when you type in disaster pants keto this is one of the first links that comes up and the thread title here and this is on the r keto community with 1.2 million subscribers so a couple people read this the thread title is disaster pants oh really <laughs> are you ready to hear the comment that this person left by and, and let's i'm assuming that this could get graphic so i will ask this try is to keep it g. pg yeah okay. okay we're gonna go with g even Ooh. so <clears throat> expletive 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 period <laughs> today i wasn't very hungry so i've literally had coffee with mct oil a salad with chicken and egg and walnuts and blue cheese and a large herbal tea with mct oil <laughs> my colorful word for poo is water please advise too much mct oil lots of question marks my stomach feels like it's churning itself oh dear oh yeah all right so for people who are familiar (laughs) mct oil is is medium chain triglyceride oil and we will get into that but before we do i just want to note that one of the first responses here was maybe too much salad 
That that was a mm, user response. That was a user response, and my answer: No. As someone who eats three large salads a day, even if you don't eat salad and you go to eat a salad, it's not going to have the kind of impact that this person experienced on their gastrointestinal health. Wow. So, um, but MCT oil or that medium chain triglyceride oil is a keto diet sort of staple for mm. a lot of people. Um, and if you go into a slightly more reliable source, the PubMed database, and you put in diarrhea, medium chain triglycerides, you will get quite a few results. And indeed, a lot of studies have found that MCT oil can cause not just diarrhea, but also, get ready, abdominal discomfort, cramping, gassiness, and bloating. Well, that just sounds like a, the disclaimers at the end of a medication commercial. Yeah, sign me up. Oh, and it's boy. also unbelievably expensive to buy some of these, but we'll, we'll get into that too. Okay, so uh, let let's let me ask this again. So we know what MCT stands for, yes. but really, what is that oil? Okay, so it's an oil, so it's pure fat, um, and medium chain triglyceride. All fats, well, most fats are triglycerides, and so I want you to sort of visualize this what they actually look like. So think you're holding a pencil horizontal, and there are three chains hanging from it, and there's a chain on either end and a chain in the middle. So Three is tri, right, mm-hmm. like a tricycle. Mm-hmm. And then the pencil you're holding is actually a glycerol backbone. So now you have tri, three chains, glycerides, and the glyceride is the glycerol is the backbone. So you have a pencil, three chains hanging off of it. The chains can be different lengths. Each link in the chain is a carbon molecule. I see you glazing over already, so no, I'm gonna I move got, on. I got you. I Pass got the you. biochemistry. That's cool. Point is so medium chain triglycerides are triglycerides that have the chains hanging off of them that are 6 to 12 links or carbons in length. Mm-hmm. Most normal fats are, are are longer than that. So they're 13 to 21. Well, they actually come in pairs, but they're higher than 12 links on the chain. So these medium chain triglycerides literally have medium length chains hanging from the glycerol backbone, whereas long chain triglycerides have longer chains. Now, why does this matter? That's my next question, honestly. (laughs) Okay, right? Like, who cares? So the reason people on keto are using these medium chain triglycerides is because they are absorbed more directly into the bloodstream. So long chain fats, they are actually, they're broken down, they're absorbed into your cells that line your intestine, they're packaged back together, they're stuck in little globs, and they're actually dumped into your lymphatic system. Hmm. Fun fact, but you didn't know that, did you? I did not. Okay, you guys are learning some some physiology here. Uh, Medium chain triglycerides, they just get broken apart and absorbed directly into the blood supply that feeds the intestines. Wow. Yeah. Well, into the portal blood supply, but that's not a, not critical. Mm-hmm. So they're absorbed much more quickly, and they are much more readily converted to ketones than these longer chain triglycerides. So that's why they're frequently used on a keto diet. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Has, um, this what you're describing kind of reminds me, and this literally just popped into my head, takes me all the way back to, I think, middle school. Oh, bless your heart. Uh, there was something called Olean. And, oh, boy. And, you know, the joke between uh, my cousin and I was, yeah, Olean, oh, wow, look oh, how loose your yeah, stool Yeah, because they were be. the wow chips. Right, yes. right. So it was, oh, <laughs> wow. wow, look how loose your stool would be. That that was it. So, I don't I mean, I know that Olean and Olestra, I think, was the actual yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I believe it was a fat that was designed to be malabsorbed. And we're going to get into this, but that is very similar. I, I don't remember the exact biochemistry of it, but it is a similar effect in that it causes, oh, again, put your sandwich down, steatorrhea, 
which is any guesses on what that might be? Stay out of Rhea. Uh huh. It's like stay out of here with that Rhea. Yeah. Well, really, it is. So it's fatty because that stay that root word is stay out, like stay to stay out of Rhea. So fatty diarrhea. Ooh. ooh. I'm saying that quiet because nobody really needs to hear that. Ooh. I know. Mm, yeah. That sandwich is going to. Yeah, it's going to cut your appetite Lord. this episode. <laughs> um. So back to the MCT oils. Uh, right. Why? Why exactly do they cause? Disaster pants. Okay. So there are a couple of different reasons. Again, I haven't seen any specific studies on the mechanisms of why this happens, um, but there are some hypotheses out there in the, in the research literature. So first, if people are eating a high-fat diet and they add on these additional fats, there can also just be fat overload where your body just can't absorb that much fat. So it gets passed along into the large intestine instead of being absorbed in the small intestine. And that can cause... That is sort of the definition of steatorrhea. Um, yeah, you end up with fats in the large intestine that you shouldn't, and that can trigger um, diarrhea. Um, also, the MCTs, the medium chain triglycerides, have their own. I'm gonna. It's called osmotic effects. They basically draw excess fluid into the colon. Oh. So again, the ones that aren't osmotic absorbed. As in osmosis. As in osmosis. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's diarrhea. And then the other piece that disaster pants is. <laughs> more common than you'd hope mm. is not only do you have all these things but most people will add this to something called bulletproof coffee so oh, we've talked about have that, that. Uh, yeah we have I you and we i have, have yes we did yeah. right so again it's coffee and butter and then mct oil and when most people drink you know caffeine coffee that already kind of gets things moving yeah and then if you add a couple tablespoons of something else that can have effects on your gi system you can have an additive effect and you get disaster pants. Oof. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. No. I think I'll pass. No. No. I can see why some people would say then that the keto diet is great for weight loss because it's <laughs> just going right through you. <laughs> I don't think that's the primary um, yeah, thing they're talking about. But yeah. And I will say that one company also claims that the six-chain six chain link or six-carbon fatty acids are more irritating to the gut than, say, the eight-carbon ones. So they sell you know, and an MCT oil that is only eight chains long and they don't have any of the six six link long chains that could cause this kind of diarrhea. And again, one of their selling points is that their MCT oil does not cause disaster pants. Yes, because people are gonna take the time to research this and determine whether or not the six chains versus eight chains is gonna make them spend more time on the commode. Come on. Now. <laughs> I will say, though, I, I mean, maybe, I don't know, they're they're doing something right because they're getting people to pay $48.95 for 32 ounces of this stuff. What? So you can go check that out on the internet. 48 almost $49? Are uh-huh. you kidding so me So 50 right bucks now? for like a quart of oil. Wow. I know. That's got to wow. be more than they put in those real fancy race wow. cars. And, and, and the th- yeah, so it's it's sold, this Bulletproof Coffee is, as a way to, quote, boost your energy and brain function. Well, you'll boost something. Yeah. Well, boost a rocket. You're going to cub-boost. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, sorry. I'm just kidding. I mean, really, that... Because theirs doesn't cause disaster pants. Uh-huh. Purportedly. Mm. Uh, you know. I'm, I just, I'm not going to try it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, so let's let's look at this. A lot of people, let's, let's put in some numbers that I think that most people would understand, and that's calories. They may mm-hmm. not understand, you know, the number of chains of fatty acids or whatever. Right. But most people know how to count calories. I know that if you go to Starbucks and you get just like a venti black coffee, yeah. I used to drink that by the gallon, yeah. five, five calories per venti. Uh, yeah, maybe 10 if it's a venti. Right. Or, you, know. you know, this is, that's nominal difference. But then you look at a bulletproof coffee 
Oh yeah, much different. Uh, calorically speaking, four hundred and eighty calories. Oh, yeah, and that's every like quarter of your day's need right there. Yeah, so it better provide a lot of energy because oh, that's just you know that's a meal's worth of calories in a cup of coffee that I can't imagine tastes very good. I haven't tried it, but because every tablespoon of oil is about one hundred and twenty calories. Did I tell you the story of of my friend who oh, like introduced me to the concept of bulletproof? Oh, I think you did. I, you know, I'm yep. at his apartment. No, and you know he's you know he's a bigger guy. You know, right. he's always talking about Chuck. You know, one of these days I'm going to catch up to you. I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm like, Fair. cool, man. Do you, man? Yeah. Whatever I can do to help you, let me know. Right. He's making a cup of coffee. Oh boy. Whatever, do your thing. And then he just goes right into the refrigerator and he gets out. I swear to. God, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He gets out a stick of butter and yep. he drops it right there. And I'm not talking a half a stick. I'm talking a whole stick oh, of butter that's, and puts it right. I'm oh like, Lord. what are you doing? He's that's like, way more than four tablespoons. About to lose weight. I was like, <laughs> oh. what? He's like, no, man, it's really good and it, it helps you lose weight. I was like, how in the world is this possibly? <laughs> no, man, you just got to trust me. I was like, uh, okay, sir. Okay, yeah. So I imagine that it would make you nauseous. So maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. More power to him. Um, sort of. It, I, I can tell you uh, it, it didn't work for him. Yeah. What? Yeah. No. I surprise, surprise. Yeah. I love I love him to death, you know. Oh, of and, course. And I'm not and telling you anything that I didn't tell him. Oh, to no, I know. Either. And it just makes it kind of breaks my heart because, again, it's not it's not helping people's health. So right. even if they do manage to lose a little bit of weight, the long term risks that come with that short term weight loss, because there's no evidence that this has any more impact doing keto than other ways of losing weight long term. Sure. What it does to people's health long term does have an impact. So that's why I really, really encourage people to have a whole food plant based diet. Just stay away from these sort of like faddish stuff that, again, if it doesn't make any sense at all, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's another school of thought, though. Uh, some people think that keto diet has the opposite effect of disaster pants and can actually back you up and cause constipation. Which it can, yeah. So for a lot of people, if they are not eating much fiber, which a lot of people on a keto diet are not, I admit now some people will just load up with non-starchy vegetables and maybe they're getting enough fiber. But if they're not, yeah, constipation is definitely a side effect. Now, I should say not everyone on a keto diet uses MCT oil. Sure. But even if they don't, a keto diet can still cause either constipation or diarrhea, depending on how well they absorb fat, particularly if they've had any gallbladder issues or pancreas issues, they're not going to absorb fat well. Even if they're eating a high load of other fats, that can still cause some some diarrhea issues. Mm. Or constipation if they are more sensitive to not having fiber. So, so what I'm hearing is your chances of being regular are slim to none? I actually, I don't, you know, may, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my uneducated <laughs> hypothesis right there. That is actually an educated hypothesis. I would give that an educated guest status. Oh, well, thank you. Stamp of approval. All right. Seems reasonable to me. Look at me. I'm on my way to being an RD, boys <laughs> There and you girls. go. Uh, another side effect that we do hear a little bit about, and I think maybe you and I may have touched on this in a previous episode. Oh, just sort of skimmed over it. Keto flu. Keto flu. Yeah. That, again, none of this sounds like a good time to me, but, yeah. but okay. So again, ketosis is a state your body goes into typically in an emergency when there's a, you know, a period of famine and food is not readily available. This is your sort of emergency backup system. So unsurprisingly, when you're asking your body to shift into this state, it doesn't love it. So this is, again, known as keto flu on the internet because it's a series of symptoms that start as your body makes that shift into ketosis, which happens about two to three days after you start eliminating or greatly reducing carbohydrate intake and eating more fat. And 
it's, again, not a medically recognized condition. You can't go into PubMed and enter keto flu and expect anything to come up because I tried just on a whim and nothing happens. Um, but it really has some some very unpleasant symptoms that have been documented in the literature, even though they aren't called keto flu. So these include a headache. So this was a low-carb ketogenic diet. More than half of people experienced headaches on this. Interesting. Constipation and diarrhea, which we've talked about. Can I say ad nauseum? Oh. Hey, now. Uh, Insomnia and back pain. The insomnia I want to talk about a little bit because, like, what's that, right? That that seems to be kind of an outlier wild card here. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the sort of, again, hypotheses on why this happens is that the switch to ketosis triggers your body to release cortisol. Now, that's a stress hormone. What right. does cortisol do? Do you know? Uh, is is that the... Pop quiz, Chuck. I mean, I'm going to come save you. All right. So yeah, it does yeah. a lot... Yeah, you <laughs> I'm so with, mean. with the degree. Um, so it does a lot of things. But one of the things it does is raises blood sugar, which is what your body would really prefer to have because again your central nervous system it your brain right here in the notes i know i gave you a cheat sheet but you're yep. just deer in the headlights Whatever. you know it's gonna handle it um can't handle the pressure chuck yeah, i can't oh gracious so anyways that's one of the things <laughs> that it does but it also will keep you awake gotcha. so that's a possibility and then also this was not in the this particular paper but fatigue and muscle cramps come up over and over again just doing an internet search it's kind Possible. of anecdotal yeah evidence. yeah so possible reasons for this so dehydration is a top one so you eliminate you go through your stored carbohydrate which is called glycogen Mm -hmm. once you go through that and you usually go through that within the first day or two um you also get rid of all the water that's stored with it so glycogen and that's one of the reasons sometimes when people go on a keto diet and they lose a bunch of weight in like a day or two they're like oh this works great what they really did was burn through their glycogen and then peed out all the water that's stored with glycogen. So So you're not burning fat. (laughs) That's right. So good job. You just got rid of a bunch of water and your backup supply of glucose. And another thing is that um, for fatigue and muscle cramps, you can have, and you probably do have, inadequate micronutrient intake, especially the potassium that's Mm -hmm. found in, in fruits in particular, also vegetables, and low potassium can lead to muscle cramps. Um, fatigue, there are some effects of keto diets on thyroid hormones, which I think we'll probably touch on a little bit later, but that could also be a potential link to fatigue. That's my that's my hypothesis. Man, yeah. that doesn't sound like a whole heap of fun. It's not. I'm not seeing an upside. I, You know, it, it just, it, re, it reminds me thinking back to the, the myths and facts episode that we did about the keto diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what it came down to is that the only thing that this diet has been scientifically proven to benefit is children with epilepsy. And, and adults with epilepsy. And, okay. It will reduce – it absolutely reduces seizure frequency for okay. a lot of people. Right. That's a very small subset of the population. Correct. And again, I, I just – my heart it, – it just hurts for people because I know, I know people are turning to this because they are just – they're desperate. Right. They're just desperate. They right. want change and they're going to try anything. And the problem is that this anything could have some really serious risks along with some very uncomfortable side right. effects. Right. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with um, somebody else in this. Eric O'Gray, mm-hmm. um, you know, who also lost a tremendous amount of weight. I was having a conversation with him recently. And really, it, it comes down to people look for this magic formula to, to lose weight and there, there isn't one. No. Like it's it, the answer is so simple, and it's what you're taught as a very young person. You know, eat your fruits, yeah. eat your vegetables, 
and move. And that's really what it boils down to. It and, really is. You know, nutrition is 80% of it, in my opinion. And then for know, most people, exercise yeah. is also critically important for overall health. But, you know, in terms of weight loss, like it, it starts and stops with what's on your plate. And it's that simple. Yeah. I it's mean, you can't simple. you can't exercise away a bad diet for most no. people. And even if you can, your inside's still not healthy. No. And you know how long it takes to run off a Big Mac or oh, something gracious. like that? Yeah. If you've ever tracked your physical activity or anything inside my fitness pal and you look at the number of calories burned for like an hour of doing some activity, it's like, oh, right. You know, <laughs> so sad. So it's like, you know, burning 500 calories that's you know no small feat but at the end of the day it's like that's one cup of bulletproof coffee yeah oh yeah oh not even (laughs) i mean yeah that's perspective right there it really is um i want to circle back to the malodorous side effect that i was talking about with dr christy uh, christy cobb earlier in the show and she she brought up a study that um referenced um bacterial vaginosis and that is what they think that uh, the the best guess anyway Correct, is that right. that would be what the actual keto crotch is. <laughs> yes. Um, Trying to keep a straight face when you say that. Right. <laughs> what researchers found was that a person who eats foods that are rich in calcium and folate and vitamin A hmm. have a reduced risk of developing bacterial vaginosis. Calcium, folate, and vitamin A. That makes me think dark leafy greens. I know. Ah. And here we have the fiber queen fitting on the Disaster <laughs> Pants show. Yay. Uh, but anyway, so I thought real quick, uh, it would be really good to do kind of a refresher on some foods that are higher in calcium, folate, and vitamin A, just so people kind of get an idea of what they might want to yeah, be looking absolutely. for. Yeah, absolutely. Let's and, do this. And oh, by the way, let's say that by no means is this a way to circumvent the system no. and say, hey, well, it's okay to do keto as long as you eat these foods. No, 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 no. I don't, you know, as we just discussed, and and this is my personal opinion, I'm not speaking for the organization, I'm only speaking as Chuck, I don't see a lot of upside to this diet. I honestly don't. Unless you have epilepsy, I'm not seeing a whole lot of upside to this. And even if you have epilepsy, the, the goal is to get people back off of this way of eating as quickly as possible. Right. So this is not... If someone needs it for long-term use, it can be done. But this is sort of the last resort measure, not the first thing that people try. Gotcha. Because it is, it, it does carry risks. Gotcha. Um, so when in terms of calcium, just as a refresher, how much are we supposed to be taking in every day? So we are looking to take in, it depends, it varies a little bit by age. But um, for men and women in that sort of 19 to 50-year-old range, we're looking for about 1,000 milligrams per day. Okay. And that upticks a little bit when you get into the sort of postmenopausal years for women. So 51 to 70, you're looking for 1200 milligrams a day. And then at age 71 and older, we're getting 1200 milligrams a day for men and women. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk about some plant-based foods. Easy to get your calcium from. No, you do not have to eat dairy to get your calcium. That is a big old myth. That is indeed a myth. And actually, some of these greens, with the exception of Swiss chard and calcium, um, Swiss chard and spinach, which you don't absorb calcium from very well, these other greens, so things like collard greens and turnip greens, you actually absorb that calcium better than from milk. Really? Fun fact. I did mm-hmm. not know that. Yep. How about that? Yep. Uh, so uh, what's uh, what's on this list here? All right. So we have calcium. Calcium set tofu, half a cup. You're getting 861 milligrams of calcium in that. That's a lot. So that almost takes you up to the full days, you know, calcium the so RDA right like there. like it's been fortified? Is that basically what that They means? use a calcium-based, I can't remember the exact substance, but to, to set the tofu. Okay. So basically it's, it's like a set soy milk. 
tofu. Ah. So they use a calcium. I can't remember the exact thing, but they use a calcium-based substance to make that setting process happen. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's what raises that. Collard greens, one of my favorite veggies of all time. Two hundred and sixty-eight milligrams of calcium Hopefully in a cup collards. in a cup cooked. Yep. yep. Um, other greens, like I mentioned, mustard greens, a cup cooked, you're getting 165 milligrams, and also beans. So white beans, we're looking at 161 milligrams. Soybeans, 261 milligrams, mm. and that's in a cup cooked of both of those. Figs, kind of fun if you're into figs. I had some earlier today. Excellent. Now, you got to eat 10 of them, and I don't think that's probably going to be like a hardship tour for most people because figs are delightful. They are. 136 milligrams of calcium. But again, your beans and your dark leafy greens, with the exception of Swiss chard and spinach, are your calcium superstars. People are going to wonder about kale on this list. Uh, 94, right? Yeah. Oh, it's still great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, but collard greens win. Just saying. They do. I mean, collard greens are the new kale. With just like a little bit of vinegar on them, man. They're delightful any which way. Oh, so good. You can also do it with a little teriyaki sauce. People don't do that much, but oh, man. The southerner in me has not done the teriyaki collards. I mean, I know. I hear you. I've definitely done the sort of liquid smoke and the garlic and the onion and all that, a little vinegar, and that's great. Okay. But if you need to change it up. Just try. So you just boil them down, add a little bit. You saute them a little bit. You saute them a little water and with some onions because onions. And then, (laughs) I'm sorry, onions are delicious. And then you just pour in a little bit at the end of cooking and saute it for another 30 seconds or a minute. Confession time. I have never and will never enjoy onions. Dear God, man. And that is why I will be happily married for the rest of my life because my wife, Julie Wright, hates them as much as I do. Aw, you guys are so cute. You hate onions together. We, that's what we bonded over. <laughs> that and the fact that we're both from the Hampton Roads area. All right. Well, yeah. then you, how about garlic? Do you feel okay about garlic? I have no problem whatsoever well, with garlic. Hit, hit them up with some garlic. There cool. you go. Yep. Done. So done. Yep. Uh, what about folate? Oh, folate. Again, the root word is foliage. It comes from dark leafy greens. But actually, you're going to sense a pattern here. I know. It's true. Look look at you. (laughs) I know. I'm a a word nerd, too. But it actually is higher in beans. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I know. I know. It's a little mind-blowing. Soybeans, edamame, again, are superstars here. Um, A cup of these guys, we're looking at 358 micrograms of folate. I should probably let you know what you need. And for, for adults, it's only... 400 micrograms per day. It's not oh, that much. So. Oh, man. So you're, you're pretty oh, yeah. much good in one shot. Oh, there, yeah. Huh? You just knock okay. it out of the park. Lentils, same 358 micrograms. Again, that's mm. like a cup cooked. So you have a cup of cooked lentils. You've practically had your RDA for the day for folate. That's so, easy to do if you have any sort of stew. or. Oh, yeah. And anyone anything. on a plant-based yeah, diet, sure. I mean, you're covered immediately. Yeah. So, you know, you have a cup of beans on something and then you have yeah. a serving of greens and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what else is what about beets? I love beets. I discovered I'm, dehydrated beets and they're good. Leave that to you. No. Yes. Lee Cross beets, beets. downstairs. In oh, the store, they have dehydrated beets. No, I'm sure they do. Oh, they're so sweet and so delicious. Good and sort of taste like dirt. Just a little bit. Just a little no. bit. No. Yes. Are beets your onions? They kind of are. Oh. I've tried. I've tried to like them. And I like one shredded beet salad with like a mustard, Dijon mustard sort of vinaigrette, not vinaigrette, like a thing. That's the only way. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. It's like a sauce, but you stir it in. Anyways, it's like a weird beet slaw with like a Dijon mustard. Anyways, I can eat them in that context. Mm. That's about it, man. Interesting. Mm. All right. So we digress. Yes. (laughs) We move on. Uh, All right. So beans and greens also for folate. 
Sensing a theme there. Yeah. Uh, vitamin A, last but not least on the list. All uh, right. Let's start with how much we should be getting of that every day. Okay. So the amount you are looking to get for that is, oh, man, these are in a weird unit. So it's, I believe, it's retinoid equivalents, retinoic acid equivalents. So you want to get 900 of those if you're a man and 700 of those if you're a woman. If you're eating a plant-based diet, you're going to knock those so far out of the park. It's not even funny. Um, so pumpkin. I know it's Love not quite pumpkin. the right season, but it's kind of oh, but always you can get the canned season. Pumpkin I know, right? Anytime. Yeah, thank you. So, and this is in micrograms, so it's a little different, but 1,906 micrograms in a cup. <laughs> you're so covered. Pumpkin. You're covered for days. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that they one to one correlate, but you're still, you're going to get plenty. Yeah. So, basically, anything orange, if you're not surprised, it's going to be really right. loaded up with vitamin A. So, carrots and Butternut sweet potatoes squash. and all that stuff. Yeah, butternut squash. But again, we have the dark leafy greens. There we go. Because hiding under those green pigments are the orange pigments, like, you know, when the leaves change colors in the fall yeah. and how green leaves have those other pigments. Right. So, spinach and kale are right up here on the list 472 and 443 micrograms per half a cup of cooked of each of those. That's awesome. So, you can see why I so dearly love dark leafy greens i see grape leaves are also on this list i love me some grape leaves where does one even you know acquire yeah, them is, isn't that called like dolma isn't well it? i mean when they're filled with tasty stuff yeah. they're called dolma yeah but i mean i've never just bought grape leaves i haven't either but i'm happy <laughs> okay, to, I was like did i miss something i'm, I'm happy to eat <laughs> dolma that well, is wrapped in ditto. a grape yes, leaf absolutely it is so good once yep. it hits your lips so true uh, all right. Uh, before we let you go, I uh, wanted to do something fun here and take a couple of uh, user questions. I know that you hopped on the old Instagram here recently. I did. And, uh, told people, hey, I'm going to be on the podcast. Yep. Let's get some questions. Uh, Let's do this. Shocker. A lot of people interested in the keto diet. <laughs> Just a few. Uh, fact. Fact. Uh, have not disclosed this fact. Um, the first keto diet episode that you and I did, mm-hmm. far and away, the most downloaded episode we've ever done. Really? Yeah. I'm sure it has nothing to do with keto diets and everything to do with how amazing we are. It's all you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the it's keto. It's all you. Ah, uh, I mean, people, it's, it, I mean, this is such a buzzy thing right I now. Just, I just, I, it'll, it'll fizzle out eventually. But for right now, I just, yeah. It, it's, it's the thing right now. You it know, really these is. These fad diets, they, they come and go. Yeah. I mean, I walked into one of the few remaining bookstores, which was actually an Amazon bookstore, but there, it was at least still a physical bookstore. And it was, it was interesting. Brick and mortar, huh? It was brick and mortar. And there were, there was like a little side shelf and most of it was actually sort of plant-based vegan stuff. And then there was this giant swath, like floor to ceiling kind of thing of keto cookbooks. Yeah. And again, if this weren't so harmful to people's health i wouldn't care as much but this is this is some risky stuff yeah the podcast market is also flooded with keto podcasts i know everyone wants a quick fix and it's just it's just it it concerns me i was looking at our our rankings yesterday and we were sandwiched right between two keto podcasts and i was like (laughs) i don't even huh okay i don't want to be in this keto sandwich like (laughs) Can, can, can we get like 50 more downloads not, and get us, get us no up bread one on more? It. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, first question yes. coming from uh, at plant, plant underscore munch on Easy the Instagrams. Uh, they are asking about the dangers of the keto diet uh, with regard to kidney function. So that is an excellent question. Um, so just so you know, do you know what kidneys do? What do your kidneys do? What's they their filter. Job? They're, they're filters, right? That, they are filters. So they are filtering the toxic stuff out of your blood that's the technical term and they put it in your urine so that your body can get rid of it Mm -hmm. all right so we got that established now excess nitrogen the primary source of that is having loads of protein um excess nitrogen is a waste product 
So your body needs to get rid of that. It packages it into a molecule called urea, like urine, which your body gets rid of in the urine, right? Same root word there. High protein diets, which is actually what most keto diets look like in practice, although technically they're not supposed to be high protein. Any high, Anything you look at in keto on the internet, they're eating a lot of animal products and meat. Um, so high protein diets, of course, are going to have a lot of this urea formation, a lot mm-hmm. of nitrogenous waste. Um, but they also are going to give you high levels of uric acid, particularly for ones that are high in animal protein. And that's also a risk factor for gout. So that's sort of a side thing. I just want to put that out there. If you've got gout, a keto gut diet is probably a really extra, I want to say it's a really extra bad idea. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but back to what this can do to your kidneys. So now we know we have all this extra nitrogen waste floating around that your kidneys then have to deal with, right? Okay. So what happens is that you have increased levels of urea, the nitrogenous waste in your blood. It triggers something called renal hyperfiltration. Sounds kind of sci-fi, right? That, yeah. yeah. Is, uh, isn't that a <laughs> Twilight Zone episode? That's fancy doctor speak yeah. for your kidneys got to work really hard. So it really just makes your, your kidneys go, you know, extra extra hard trying to get rid of all this extra waste to the point that it's in the literature all over the place. So this is a 2014 meta-analysis of 30 studies. So it was over 2,000 people analyzed across all these trials looking at high-protein diets. And they found that when people went on a high-protein diet relative to either a low-protein or a normal-protein diet, they the filtration rate of blood through their kidneys significantly increased because your kidneys have to get rid of all this extra waste. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we imagine, the urea levels in the blood increase because all that nitrogenous waste has to go somewhere. Again, protein, lots of nitrogen. Um, Uric acid, that's sort of a side point from animal proteins, but that also increased. That's the gout risk. And also they increased their excretion of calcium in the urine. So that's some pretty solid evidence that these um, diets can injure your kidneys. And that was basically the conclusion that the authors drew. Mm. Also, fun fact, increased risk of kidney stones. I was, I was wondering. I was like, yep. okay, I was, we have to be getting to stones at some Oh, point. my gosh. Yes. So yeah. elevated risk of kidney stones on a high protein, particularly high animal protein diet. Ouch. Wow. My yeah. dad had kidney stones, I think, twice Ooh. in his life, mm. and uh, he said that was the only time in his entire life where his face turned basically green because he was in so much pain. Yeah, I've only I, I worked in an urgent care clinic one summer long, long ago, and it was we had a gentleman come in and he he went back out on a stretcher. He was in so much pain. Oh, that poor yeah, guy. yeah. He had to go to the ER because they were going to have to do the lithotripsy stuff, but it was mm. oof, brutal. Brutal. Uh, So we talked about kidneys. Somebody else wrote in. They were asking if there was any research that had been done on keto's effects on the thyroid. So, you know, this was a great, great question. There's actually not a ton of data on this, but there is a little bit. So they have uh, linked a decrease in T3, it's one of your thyroid hormones, to low-carb, high-fat diets. And then pretty recently, this was a 2017 paper, they were looking at kids who were being treated for that sort of drug-resistant epilepsy. So these are kids ages 4 to 10. Again, there's just not a lot of data going here. But they looked at 120 of them, and they were on keto diets anywhere from one to six months. It's not very long. No, not very long at all. No. And hypothyroidism was diagnosed in 20 of these kids. So that's about 16.7% of them in six months or less. And they're getting put on Synthroid, basically. So clearly this is not 
advantageous for your thyroid health. That's at such a young age, too. I know. So, and again, if you're having seizures most of the day, then this is, it's a risk-benefit analysis, and the benefits might outweigh the risks, but for otherwise healthy people to just go on this, it is just not worth it. Um, no surprise, somebody else wrote in, they were asking, uh, they said, quote, some say keto reverses type 2 diabetes. We hear a lot about that one as right. well. Right. Yep. Say it reverses type 2 diabetes, but will it last if you stay on the diet long term? Well, if you almost never eat a carbohydrate again or eat very, very little, you will have low blood sugar for as long as you stay on the diet. That's true. But you're also going to be at risk increased risk for things like colon cancer and heart disease. So you're sort of making a frying pan fire trade-off because Mm. what's happening here is this diet controls the symptoms of type 2 diabetes, a keto diet, but it doesn't, the blood sugar symptom, but it doesn't get at the root cause. Hmm. So again, a lot of people have this misconception that high blood sugar is the cause of diabetes. And it's like, no, no, high blood sugar is the symptom, right? So Again, it's actually the fat that builds up inside liver and muscle cells is that's believed to be one of the primary drivers of this. There are multiple drivers for type 2 diabetes, but that's but that's one of them. And again, keto is going to improve blood sugar in that because there's so little glucose coming in, there's going to be very little in the blood at all. Right. So, but that underlying insulin resistance, the fat that's inside the muscle cells and the liver cells that prevents them from responding to insulin, and again, the role of insulin is to lower blood sugar, mm-hmm. that, that problem is still there. The only potential exception is if someone lost a substantial amount of weight on a keto diet, they might be able to get at that underlying cause. But the answer is we don't know. Now, we do know that on a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, we can start improving that insulin resistance in a very short period of time, even if the person doesn't lose weight. And there's some really cool trial on this where they took some gentlemen with type 2 diabetes and they put them in a metabolic ward, put them on a low-fat, vegetarian, or mostly plant-based diet, and they basically fed them enough to keep them at the same weight. And half of those guys in the space of, I want to say it was a month, I might need to check that, but were able to discontinue their insulin. Wow. And again, all they did was change the kind of food they were eating. It didn't require any weight loss. And we know they tolerate these healthy, longevity-promoting carbohydrates like fruits and veggies and whole grains because that's what they were eating. Right. So it really, it just, it goes to show that this, you know, a whole food, plant-based, lower-fat diet helps to clear that fat out of the muscle and liver cells and get at the root cause. So I think of it like this with keto for type 2 diabetes. Let's think of type 2 diabetes. Let's say you step on a nail. All right. That's type 2 diabetes. Ow. The symptom is ow, right? The symptom's pain. So you can fix this in a couple of ways. You can take a Tylenol. What's it do to your pain? It makes it go away. It makes it feel better, right? And that's what a keto diet's going to do for type 2 diabetes. Your blood sugar, it will go down. But there's still a problem. There's still a nail in your foot, right? So <laughs> the goal is to not have a nail in your foot, not to dull the pain. Right. So a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet is the equivalent of taking the nail out of your foot and letting the foot heal. So then you don't have pain and you don't have an underlying problem. Fascinating. Yeah. Well put. Pretty cool, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions real quick. I know that we're running out of time. Uh, at D. Pika writes in, can you compare a vegan keto diet to a meat-based keto diet? Is the vegan keto diet okay in the short term? Well, at last check, there is actually no vegan keto diet study. There was an Eco Atkins study, which looked at a low carb, but not low enough carb to be keto diet. And it did have better outcomes than a standard animal-based 
keto diet in terms of LDL and that kind of thing. So I would say it's better, but I still wouldn't say it's good. Gotcha. The answer is we just, but to be fair, we don't know. But my my inclination would be to say just from what I know about biochemistry and physiology, that is probably not great. At Joel underscore Vanderlyn writes in, they say that the body doesn't actually need any glucose to function. Is this true? That is malarkey. Oh. Yes. So your red blood cells can only function on glucose. So at the very least, you need it for those. And again, your central nervous system and the rest of your body prefers to run on glucose. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, at Shell Zoo, why are people losing weight on this diet? Well, like we discussed, people do lose weight for a couple of reasons at first. Water weight. Water weight's a biggie. So people think, yay, I've lost weight. And also, it gets boring. It's not that fun to eat this way. So... And obviously, things like the Bulletproof Coffee, that can make people nauseous. They don't feel good. If you're having keto flu, do you want to eat? I didn't feel good just watching somebody drink it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hashtag disaster pants. <laughs> um, at Nut by Mom. That's, that's kind that's of a fun cool, name. Sure. At Nut by Mom. Could it be a way of life for a healthy person? No. Next question. Yep. Uh, <laughs> final question. <laughs> uh, at Lutch Riverside Guild, is it safe for 18-year-olds? Interesting. Let's just pick an age. Is it safe uh, if you're 18? No. 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 Is it safe at any age? Uh, unless you have drug-resistant epilepsy. Mm, and even then, it's a trade-off. No. So, no. No. Yeah. All right. Uh, at Lee underscore Crosby on Twitter, at Lee at VeggieQuest on Instagram, you are a wealth of information, and you are a real-life person who is available for consultation upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center. That is correct. BarnardMedical.org is the website for that. Do you get a lot of people come in and they're asking you questions about this? Maybe they're hearing it from their About keto? Or they, they're on that famed Reddit thread? Um, I have, and I usually see people after they've tried keto and it hasn't worked. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. So I do see it. A, a decent number of those. Gotcha. Lee Crosby, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Coming up this week, we will be returning to China. It's ground zero for the coronavirus. We're going to do that when we check back in with Dr. Jia Zhu. He's been there throughout this entire ordeal. Now, here's the interesting thing that I really want to discuss with him is that there are now reports coming out of China that some patients have tested positive for COVID-19 for a second time. And health officials say that they're also seeing similar cases in Japan and in South Korea. So we will be asking Dr. Zhu about that and also how life is going over there. The strict lockdown has been lifted finally in Wuhan, China, after nearly 12 weeks. Life there definitely trying to return to normal. And that could offer us a glimpse into our own future. So what is it that Dr. Zhu is seeing? And what is he learning about the popularity of plant-based diets there now that researchers believe that exotic live animal markets, known as wet markets, are thought to be where the virus originated. So that's going to be a fascinating conversation coming up. Also, the big Q&A with Dr. Jasmine Sardana, all about COVID-19. If you have a question, now is the time to submit it. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. Send us those questions using the hashtag ExamRoomPodcast. 
And also in the near future, we will be talking about the connection between gut health and COVID-19 when I'm joined by gastroenterologist Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Now, he is the author of the new book, Fiber Fueled, and he and I are also going to discuss how critical of a role your gut microbiome can play in terms of immune function and the body's ability to fight off viruses. Now, there is no actual immunity when it comes to the coronavirus, but it does appear that the healthier a person is, the healthier their gut microbiome is, the better their chances are of having mild symptoms or being asymptomatic altogether. So a big part of that starts right in the gut, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. But before we get to that, we could use your help. We need your help to get this information into the eyes and ears of people who need it the most. Because at the heart of this show is our drive to make the world a healthier place. And one of the best ways that you can help us achieve that is just by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, really wherever shows are available. And also when you do that, please leave a five-star rating. Because not only then will you start getting these new episodes automatically, but you'll also be helping to get this information in front of those whose health might be in jeopardy. Because the more subscriptions and positive reviews we receive, the higher we climb in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it is for people to find us. And also, this potentially life-saving information. So thank you very much for doing your part with that. And my thanks again to the wonderful doctors who joined us today, Dr. Neil Barnard and Hannah Kaliova, as well as the Fiber Queen, dietitian extraordinaire, Lee Crosby. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe and keep it plant-based. <laughs>